Hi, and welcome to the Unsung Heroes podcast, a podcast where we focus on the awesome people working with your favorite music artist. I'm your host, Daniel, and today I have the lovely Streaky with me. Streaky is a sought-after UK-based master engineer and educator who have worked with artists such as It's Sharon, Kasabia, Usher, The Prodigy, and many more. Streaky talks about staying relevant in the audio industry, some great experiences and horror stories from the studio, and much more. Let's dive into it. Welcome, Strigi. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Hello. Um, so for the listeners who don't know, please just tell me a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. So I've been a mastering engineer for 25 maybe or more years now, um, working on various different artists, um, loads of different people. Um, uh, do you want me to name people or not? Ah, you can brag if you want. <laughs> oh, no, totally exactly. cool. I don't really want to. Uh, loads of people. I'll, go I'll, to... do, I'll do it later. If, if you yeah, okay. Add them in later. <laughs> but um, yeah, so mastering engineer. Then I've worked at various different mastering studios, uh, Metropolis being one that people probably heard of. And I've set my own place up, which is uh, Streaky Studios, which I... Uh, I've done because I like having the freedom of being able to do what I want to do rather than um, being under the constraints of corporations. So um, with that, I've been able to have my own YouTube channel for about 10 years now, maybe a bit longer. And mm. um, for, that's been brilliant because that means I can kind of feed back to people what I'm doing and I and it helps me because I then get feedback from other people. So when yeah. I'm sitting on the room, you know, most engineers know they sit in the room on their own most of the time. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of, for me, it was more when I, um, it was an outlet for me to actually speak to other people. And then, mm. you know, because I was used to working in studio place and then having loads of people around me to chat to. And yeah. then when YouTube came along, it was like, oh, great, we can talk to everyone else. So uh, by me giving them my knowledge and then uh, weirdly by giving people your knowledge, uh, you end up having more knowledge yourself. So um, that was uh, that was quite an eye-opener for me because I was a little bit scared yeah. to give away everything to start with. <laughs> yeah, and, I could imagine. And I get a lot of other engineers who are like, why are you telling everybody everything you know? And, you know, that's what, the, you know, that's our little thing kind of stuff. But I think that's just a little short-sighted. Um, yeah. So that's been really cool. So I've been doing that for quite a while. And... Then I've also recently started up an academy, so leading on from, you know, doing just YouTube videos that can be quite random and can be reviews and stuff. The academy mm. is more focused on, right, okay, here's all the quick routes that I've learned to save you the years of fanning around that I did. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is what you need to worry about and this is what you don't need to worry about. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at now and... Yeah, I've got recently into uh, doing Dolby Atmos as well. So I've just oh, set yeah. the studio up. I've got mastering at the front and I've got um, sort of Atmos um, thing at the at the back. So that's been a massive mission recently yeah. and starting to get into that, which is cool. It's um, I think it's more out of boredom than out of um, <laughs> necessity. But, um, <laughs> you know, because I'm busy mastering and busy doing videos and busy doing, you know, the academy. So you've got plenty going yeah. on. But, um, 
yeah, it's quite fun actually doing the Atmos mixing, just moving yeah. stuff around and and it's listening. A totally different, different yeah. space, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for someone who's, I'm not bored of doing mastering, obviously, but it's um, you know, it's just a new challenge. So that's mm. that's fun. And yeah. and also the thing that's quite interesting about that Atmos thing, I don't know if you want to get onto that, but it's um, it's the fact that everybody's been so worried about loudness, and obviously that's all people talk about. That when you do the Atmos stuff and it's you've restricted to like minus eighteen LUFS for the delivery, when you actually listen to the to the stereo version of it compared to the Atmos version, if you do that switch in Apple or wherever you want to listen to it. Um, you hear how crushed the master is and how bad it sounds compared to the dynamic version. So uh, I think that's quite a fun thing for the future. And I think that's going to change people's minds a bit about wanting their stuff smashed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong, I smash everyone's music to death because I have to, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're you're forced to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's it's nice when you don't have to and you can actually hear the music how unsmashed and then it's kind of you know which you don't get to hear a lot that's addicting to get to hear that way yeah so that's about the long and short of what i've been doing that's taken five minutes to tell you my life story (laughs) no worries man why did you why did you land on mastering exactly like there's so many possibilities in in the audio why mastering um i didn't do it on purpose i was desperate to work in a recording studio in the 90s and I was working in offices and doing really boring jobs that I hated, working in corporate things like mm. admin and stuff like that. Didn't yeah. really, you know, I knew what I wanted to do when I was 10 years old. I wanted to be a sound engineer. So yeah. um, I so I worked for 10 years doing jobs I hated, wrote off to loads of studios because it was handwriting, no emails then. And uh, I used to write off all the time, just saying, just I'll do anything, just give me a job. And so mm, then a job yeah. came up in the CD mastering, didn't know what it was. <laughs> um, and so I just sort of looked at the guy as he was telling me what the job entailed, talking about pneumatic machines and all this. And I remember sitting there thinking, I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but, but just trying to keep us, you know, keep the in- interview going. Yeah, and then exactly. I got I got the job and I remember just being the thrill of getting the job was insane because mm. after having that amount of time of doing something you hate to then doing something that you that you love and I was going to be part of the music industry was just such a thrill. Yeah. So it wasn't the fact that I said you know I wanted to be a tape op or I wanted to be whatever I just wanted it to be in music and so yeah. as a as a profession and then um you know, and then actually, I'm pleased that it fell this way because I'd hated just because of my temperament. I'd have hated being stuck with a band for months mm. on end in a studio recording them. You know, I'd have loved it from the going out and getting pissed sort of thing. Sorry, yeah. swearing. But, <laughs> yeah, no worries, going. But uh, you know, when I was that age, I'd have loved that. But that wouldn't yeah. have been me. That was the band that were going out doing that. So mm. uh, I'd have hated it, and I'd have also. Uh, so I love the fact that it was more kind of it was more nine to five and it was different artists every day and it was loads of different tracks every day. So it really suited me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty lucky. And then, yeah, I've just sort of carried on that's, up, that's up awesome. and down yeah. as things yeah. go. <laughs> that's crazy how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. So if we dive a little bit into like mastering, um, to you, why is mastering important in the modern music industry? Like, why is it here? 
well, it's it's the same as it always has been, really. It's the because it's the final stage before it goes off into streaming. Then mm. it's a, a, a fresh pair of ears to sort of give it the QC, the sort of rubber stamp to say everything's fine. It's all ready to go. The levels are right. There's no overs. There's yeah. you know you're just checking it for that. I mean that's essentially what mastering always has been. Um, and then obviously it's got more creative as time's gone on over the last 30 years. Um, but it shouldn't be too creative. You, you're just taking someone's mix and then you're delivering it to the, to the place it needs to go and making sure that that mix translates to that place. Yeah. So, so that's kind of why it's important because if you don't have that, that specialist at the end, you're kind of guessing what to do. I know there's obviously a lot of information around and I give out a lot of information about of what to do and how to do it and stuff and how to deliver things. But if you can afford to, it's always nice to have that extra person to go, okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds good. Or did you think the base is a bit much on that? And I can trim it off for you if you want. And do you want me to, you know, that's the kind of conversation you should be having. I mean, obviously when you've, when you've done it a lot, like I have, you don't need to have those conversations as much because you can guide the, you know they're looking to you for guidance yeah, you, you know are the they're coming here. to me yeah exactly so they're coming to me to say i've done this put your thing on it but it's not really me putting my thing on it it's just correcting anything they've sort of you know may not have heard in their room because my room's more tuned and mm. i'm i'm also used to hearing it in a different way to a mix engineer it's a totally different way of listening to music so yeah what's the the hardest part of your job uh being a master engineer um the hardest part is uh technically or from a uh business point of view like if you could sound get... or sound or work or what angle yeah you can like whatever comes to your mind um not too technical not in the this would, is the hardest part about equalizing i don't i don't find the actual I don't find the actual work itself difficult, obviously, because I've been doing it so long. So personally for me now, EQing a track and mastering is second nature to me because I've done it so often. So I can hear something, know within seconds what it needs and and I can and sort it out and get things moving much quicker mm. than than I could before. That's just experience and that's, that is just practice. Um, I think the hardest thing for any mastering engineer or any engineer is to... Uh, stay relevant and get work coming in. That's the main mm. thing for me because, you know, there's so many people wanting to, to do what I do and there's so many people that can do it now, a lot more than could when I started because you had to work in a studio. You don't have to anymore. So uh, for me, originally, it was getting the, getting the job in that studio to then get the work. Mm. And for me, for the last 15 years, it's, right, how am I going to keep in with A&R men? How am I going to get to get this work how are people going to know my name how are they going to you mm. know order me you know mastering from me so i think that's always the hardest thing for everybody um because if you haven't got the work you're not you're not going to be doing it for long you don't have anything there exactly it's so just... you could sit in your room twiddling knobs all day long but <laughs> if you haven't got any work coming in and also yeah. if you if you don't get enough uh clients and you get don't get enough decent stuff coming in then you don't know what sounds good and what doesn't. So I've listened to mixes from top mix engineers and bottom mix engineers. So you, I kind of know how something should sound and how it shouldn't. So 
just by having getting that kind of work coming in is really important because if you always work on bad sounding stuff mm. you're just you're, you're usually do too much yeah so so the problem is you need to know when not to do anything that's yeah, the hard thing i think thing. that's that's very interesting like when not to touch it yeah yeah uh, that's the, that's, that's the most important thing with any mm. with any engineering is yeah what to do and when not to do it and and try and keep yourself away from doing stuff mm. where because it's so easy with all the tools these days to go yeah. go massively in the wrong direction yeah you can basically have unlimited equalizers unlimited processing with the computer and everything and you can just yeah. go go ham and try to do everything and it probably doesn't sound better than when you start most of the time it sounds worse yeah But yes, so when you are like trying, I think it's interesting to try that you bring up trying to stay relevant because I've heard a lot of, especially the master engineers, like when you're working with these high-profile artists that you are working with. Uh, now I can name drop a little bit. You work with uh, Ed Sheeran, Kasabian, uh, the Prodigy, all these kind of big, big people. I hear a lot of people like you have to deliver every time. You have to be spot on. Uh, basically, consistency. Yeah consistency every time and if you like fall off there's a good chance these labels big labels whatever will move in another direction oh yeah i've uh, fallen off loads of times so oh, yeah. so you know you're not gonna always yeah ideally you never you always want to deliver your best um mm, of course but a lot of the times these days if they're not in the studio with you which they're not um you might go in a direction that they don't want or you might um You know, so so it's really difficult sometimes. So you have to kind of know again, know what to do and when to do it for these artists because the label won't ask you to do it again. They'll just go somewhere else. There's no second chance. So that's why you need to practice because when that job comes in, you've got to have your sword sharp to you know sharpen your sword in the times when you haven't got that big artist in because when it comes in, you're going to need to know what to do. And what sounds good and what sounds bad. So, um, yeah, stay, keeping the consistency is key. But as mm. long as you've got um, a system and a process of working that you're happy with, and you're that's what most professionals deal with. They'll have a system of working so that when a job comes in, they're still doing the same process as they do for every single job, and so they know they're in a you know, they know, right, this is right and this is wrong. If you were starting different every single time and if you were starting with new software, new plugins every single time and you didn't have a process of working, you wouldn't be able to be consistent because that process is forever changing, obviously, and that system is forever changing as you develop. But, you know, but you need to have that in place. So that's the main thing that I tell everybody that wants to learn how to do mixing or mastering. It's getting that system in place and that working yeah. process to then be able to pull out the bag every time and get a consistent sound yeah the consistency is is definitely one of the hardest parts of of being in the audio industry yeah yeah um, and it's just so it's keep it simple and then just add as you go because if you know if you're if you try and overthink it which everyone does um you're just gonna go around in circles and you won't you need to be able to with mastering you'll get the track in the morning you need to get it by the after get it over by the afternoon so the um, deadlines are, are hideous uh, as well yeah ridiculous and you're scared because it's an artist that you want to impress 
and it's exactly. a producer you want to impress and you want to get more work from the label so you're frightened you're going to do a bad job so you need mm. to be confident in your engineering skills you need to have done the practice to then know okay well I know I've got that bit right and so I know that I've at least I've delivered my best and if that's not yeah. good enough it's not good enough and you know next time hopefully it will be yeah because uh, like there's also the part that music is different every song is different every song can be taken in a different direction depending on the artist the mix even the master right so so do you ever get to talk with the artist or the label do you get any notes or are you just thrown a, a a mix and said streaky we need this by the afternoon get it done and uh, get- yeah you get both really so i'll some t- it depends who the it depends who the where the job's coming from if it's a late if it's a label job they send it over to you and you master it and you send it back If it's a producer, you're probably someone you've worked with before or you have a relationship with, and you can have a conversation and they'll say, I was thinking about this, this is how I was dealing with it. Uh, most of the time, I try and get people to send me over references. And most record labels will send you the uh, limited reference that they've been listening to of the mix. So you know what you're up against, you know what they've been listening to. It's like they're happy with what they're, they're happy with this. This is what they've passed as a mix. They <laughs> yeah. they have agreed this sounds good. So yeah. from there on, don't make it worse, basically. <laughs> yeah. And and you know sometimes that's really difficult. If you're working with a really big mix engineer, most of mm. the top mix engineers will deliver it slammed and sounding really good. So you're like, oh god, I really want to do something to kind of show off and like because I really want this mix engineer to go, oh your that was amazing what you did. I thought I had my mix perfect. <laughs> But it's like, oh my god, most of the time you're never going to get it sounding any better because you're just like this sounds amazing mm. and so you can that's harder to do actually than than to do someone's mix that is rubbish because you're then going everything I do sounds makes it sound worse everything I do makes it sound worse so yeah and you and you feel like you should be doing something because you're getting paid and because they've asked yeah. you <laughs> exactly. but but you really shouldn't because as a mastering engineer you're there just to put it as on a DDP for CD or make sure it's the right level for streaming or whatever they want so you know you shouldn't worry about the sound as much but everyone mm. does obviously and we all got egos And mastering yeah, yeah, exactly. engineers have got the biggest egos you'll ever meet. <laughs> you think they oh, got the yeah. biggest egos? <laughs> oh, big time! Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, so in a in a situation where you get like a, a sort of perfect mix that is slammed and basically more or less ready to to, yeah. to get out into the world, what what do you do in that process? I think like towards now and and earlier in your process, earlier in your career. Um, uh, earlier in my career, I would definitely slam stuff on it and try and take it in. The, So, like, put myself on it because that's what amateurs do. And mm. so, when I was younger, that was what I exactly what I did. And I remember the faces in those days; it was all attended. So, I remember the faces of oh. some of the producers looking at me as if to say, "What are you doing with this?" <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. So that's kind of um, that teaches you not to do anything. But yeah. um, <laughs> but these days, I'm more likely to try and do one eq setting for everything okay. that i do because i yeah. my challenge now is to is not what i can do it's what i can't do so mm. i don't i find it more i find it more interesting to be able to do one setting to get the same sound as i might have done five years ago with 10 settings 
So that's the that's the that's the experience and that's, that's the like, fun of doing it because you're like, oh look how well how good I made that sound. I didn't do anything to it hardly, <laughs> but it's yeah. the one thing that you did. And I used to watch people doing that and think like some of the because I got trained by loads of the big engineers and I've worked with loads of big guys. So it's like I'd go and look at their settings and then go, oh, how have they done that? They've only done like a little cut <laughs> they there didn't do or anything. or they yeah they just put a little cut on the low end or something and you're just like but it's set and it just suddenly came together and that's you know that's just because that's all it needed. You know, and, and they and are like the, the final, the final frontier, and the final ear saying this mix yeah. from this guy uh, and this production is great. There's no need to do anything that these minor tweaks. Uh, That's so it. I think it's like you are the gatekeeper for for going on streaming in some way. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's so cool. So you've definitely worked in the industry for so many years. What do you think is the best part of being a master engineer? What what gets you back to the job every day? Uh, it's kind of like uh, it's the, it is the satisfaction of finishing something every day. So you don't you're not there. You're not part of the process. You are the end of the process. So when I say about mastering engineers having egos, it's because everybody says to you all day every day. Oh, it's amazing. It sounds great. Thanks very much. Oh, it's, you know, <laughs> you finished the track, blah, blah. So that's why they, because they're getting so many pats on the back every day for, you might do 10 tracks in a day. So that's 10 different artists, 10 different producers. They're all emailing you saying how much they like what you did. <laughs> it's, you know, you're going to get an ego over it, aren't you? But, of course. And so, but also that's kind of quite nice if you do something and somebody likes it and you get that kind of finish yourself. So, you know, being a big head aside, it's actually mm. quite a nice feeling to go, I finished that for them and they're, they're done. They can move on to the next part of this project by releasing it or doing a video for it or whatever they've got to do next. And it's mm. like, I've sealed that off or I've finished their album for them. So yeah, that's that's fun. And it's a shorter process uh, in, in like regards to producing, for example, recording, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, you know it's an hour a track and you're and you're done you know you come come to it and then it's the it's also the the main fun bit is the difference before and after that's all you're doing it's like the chat uh, yeah, yeah. really it's the challenge for yourself so you're a being it as you go and from where it comes in and what your first listen you might listen and think sounds great i love it but by the time you've spent half an hour or whatever on it by the time you get to that point you're like oh god look how far i've come with it and i didn't even hear that when i started but because i've got involved in it and listened to it a bit more and decided okay well if i did that and this i can make the bass tighter and i already already thought the bass was tight and now listen how tight i've got it or you know yeah. that's that's kind of fun to do it's just mm. that's the fun bit awesome so what is the for you Uh, personally what is the most important part of a good mastering like what is the purpose of of a good mastering um just to realize the sound of the mix so mm. it needs to be clear it needs to come across at the way they want it to so even if that means that they want it dark and and not very bright that's cool because but it's being able to hear that when you get the mix in to go okay I know what direction they were going in because I've heard so much music in my life that I know that's the kind of sound you know it's like I think that's what makes a good mastering engineer they've got so many reference points because they've been in so many different um, genres of music throughout their life and which mm. is why you find most uh, of the top mastering guys are are old and they always were 
even when I started, they were, you know, the, the, the bigger guys had, had just because they had so much experience and they could draw on all the different sounds of the different artists they've listened to. Mm. Um, you know, they're not genre specific at all. They're, you know, which is very similar to me. I've got loads of, you know, you're into loads of different types of music over the years. So I know, okay, I can hear they're going for that David Bowie kind of sound or they're going for, I don't know, a hip hop record that I used to listen to in the 80s, you know, whatever. It's like you go, okay, I can hear the 808s are doing that because that's what dance music did. They're going for that early 90s dance music sound. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, you know, okay, I'll do that. And so you can, so you know which way to take it and then they're going to be happy with it because you can hear that in their sound. Be quiet, mm. Enzo. Sorry, my dog's here. <laughs> that's cool. That's a, that sounds cool. I got a dog of my own. Okay. <laughs> so that's They'll be nice. barking. They'll just be them talking in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could be talking about audio all day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's so great. Have you ever been like in situations where you couldn't get to like translate the mix, couldn't push the vibe of the mix, the direction of the mix through the mastering the way you would? Uh... If it's a bad mix, then you've just got to do the best you can. Um, you know, it's like you can only do you can only do with what you've got. So, and a lot of the time, if it's a great sounding mix, you're kind of just polishing it up a little bit, but not too much. But if it's really bad, then you've got to take it. But the thing is, what you find is, if it's a bad mix, the person who's done the mix doesn't actually know what is good and bad anyway, and that's why the mix is bad. So, even if you take it in a different direction, they probably won't like it that much because the the way they heard it was the best they thought it sounded and and i remember that when i used to write music i'd go and take a record someone to mix and then i would come away thinking their mix sounded terrible compared to mine and then a year later i'd listen back to it and go you idiot yours was so yeah. bad <laughs> so you yeah. know it's i think that's just uh you know learning isn't it but mm. yeah i don't think Yeah, you can't, you can only do with what you've got, really. So you just try and make the best of it. And, you know, a lot of the times with that, you then have to suggest to people what you think they could do with the mix to then take it to a better place. So then it's more of a education thing to say, look, I thought this, what do you reckon? And they say, no, all right, fine. Just thought I'd point it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I think a lot of people, a lot of mix engineers want to get the feedback from a master engineer. Like they, especially if you're like open to, to learning and open to, yeah, yeah, to definitely. getting other people's insights, then it's uh, valued. Yeah. Um, but yeah, cool. Um, so, so most people, uh, like, or I'm saying regular people here, but, but non-audio people and audio people as well see artists and musicians as like creative and very artistic people but but how about master engineers what is your take on on like the arti artistic aspect of mastering we touched a little bit on it in the beginning but yeah i don't think it's i mean i used to get really frustrated with that side of things because i used to produce music myself that i mm. always when i first started i always try to put too much into mastering because it, because i found it boring because it i by not doing enough um like i've been saying all the way through it's like that that was actually a bit tedious because uh well i'm just doing one eq setting or i'm just doing two eq settings that wasn't creative enough for me so um you have to find your creativity in it in the way that i spoke about a minute ago where i now get excited because i'm doing one eq setting where before that was boring so that's yeah. that's what i find creative now but It's not a massively creative 
part of music. I don't think it should be. You're not there to create. You're there to like to get it so it sounds right on the where it's going. So mm. you shouldn't be trying to be too creative at this point. I mean, the mix mix engineer can be more creative, and then it, obviously the further you go back down the chain, the more creative you get. So I don't think it's. I think by this stage, it's like no, just get it sounding so you know it sounds how it should be um you know you can be creative with it as in like you can get the bass moving a bit more or you can get the tops moving and get a kind of more of a groove going but you're working off what the track's doing anyway so you're saying Mm -hmm. okay well it needs that bass needs to move a bit because it sounds a little bit muddy or stuck together so it's like okay let's just get it bouncing a bit more and then it will give it a bit more life so you can get creative on that side of things where it's you know you're using dynamics or you're using eq to bring things out more um Mm. so it's creative in that respect but not as in you know you're not adding to it from from a musical point of view it's more subtle yeah things you're doing yeah yeah yeah, exactly do you think like the big master engineers as yourself do you think they have sort of their own sound in in some regard uh yeah because they've I think that you bring to to it what how you hear a finished product. So mm. again, going back to where if they've heard a lot and lots of music, they're listening to it as a consumer listens. So you're not listening to it as a mix engineer or as a producer, you're listening as a consumer. And that's the difference between a mastering engineer and a mix engineer. So um, you need to be able to go, so you kind of... Um, yeah, you need to be able to just get get a sound and your sound just comes naturally because the equipment that you use, the way you use that equipment, how you hear things so that you go, okay, um, it's it needs to sound a certain way. So you can get, you do get a certain sound out of it, definitely. Um, I think that's more down to the combination of equipment and how you then hear that at the end. Hmm. And like the experience you had before, like like you talked about, like do you have a massive love for hip hop? Maybe that will influence how you how you master exactly. And I, you know, and I was into dance music early on, so I know how dance music should sound, and I know yeah. how and I know how it sounds in a club because I've spent years in nightclubs, <laughs> and I know how bands should sound because I used to play in bands and in the nineties, and so. I know how hip hop sounds because I was into that in the 80s and I know how pop music should sound from the 80s. Do you know what I mean? On and on and on. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, like exactly. uh, that's that's where you get your sound from when you're mm. when you're mastering something. Yeah. That's cool. That's really interesting to to have it, to see like a, a way of actually your life is how you're mastering sound. Yeah, is, yeah, that's ended up. definitely. That's how you get your sound when you're creating music. So it's exactly the same thing, really. You're taking influences from what you've listened to before. And mm-hmm. that's a kind of subconscious thing rather than a conscious thing. Yeah. So, Striga, you you're a well-known engineer and you have many years of experience behind you. Uh, so you've probably tried a little bit of everything. Uh, and it from our talks until now, it seems like you've dealt with different clients and different personalities. Oh, yeah. Ex- different experience in the studio and interaction with clients and all that kind of stuff. And I know a lot of listeners and myself included, like, are interested in getting a look behind the curtain, like into the engine room. Could you like tell me about a time when you had a sort of a a challenging experience in the studio. It could be with a client, a certain project, a label, some of the attended session you you mentioned earlier, something like that. It could be from your early days. My or- my worst sessions ever are when I'm not prepared for the session. So 
Um, I've had many sessions where with equipment going down or setting up, I remember setting up 5.1 was quite popular in the early 2000s and we set up a 5.1 room. I remember having set the speakers up before the session. They didn't work. The client's sitting there looking at me. You know, there's loads of those times where your equipment breaks down and you're trying to sort of talk your way around it. Or, you know, the worst ones are where you're EQing something and then you realize it's in bypass. (laughs) And then you're, and you've got a client sitting there pointing out the fact that you've got it in bypass. And you're thinking, oh "Oh, God, how embarrassing. Because in your head, it's changing the sound to how you think it should sound. Mm. randomly i know this sounds mental but yeah but but i totally get it like everyone working with audio will get it yeah yeah Uh, you think it's you change something you think oh yeah it sounds different but it actually hasn't done anything and then you kind of say to yourself well no point doing it anyway was there but it's kind of a habit that you're in and then you realize you haven't got it turned on or something i mean something like that's shocker yeah. So, um, so what happens in, in a situation like that when the client points it out? How how do you get around no, it? You just got to laugh at yourself, haven't you? Really, and just say, <laughs> okay. you know, sorry, I'm making it up. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't worry about stuff like that. You've just got to go with it. I mean, you'll never see them again anyway after that, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like, um, how about some like great experiences or interesting experience you've had? Um, in the studio or interaction with clients and stuff like that? I think it's when you work with people that you've admired or you've grown up with, that's always Mm. the most fun so that you're meeting them and it's scary and it's kind of, you know, that's, that's the fun part of it where it's not really, for me, it wouldn't be new artists that would do that to me, but if it was someone, I don't know, I'd love to, but if it's Paul McCartney or Elton mm. John or someone like that, you know, where you've grown up as a kid and they were a big hero and then you get to sit down and maybe go out for dinner with them and stuff like that. That's really cool. So those experiences are the best ones. Um, and for me, it's always been random people like the best person I work with for me, it wouldn't be for everybody, but it was a guy called Andy Weatherall who was a DJ. And when I was a kid, he came from the same town as me. So because of him is why I got into music. And so when I worked with him in the studio and cut some vinyl for him, that was mega exciting for me. So although it wouldn't be for anyone else, it's those personal moments that are the best when you work with someone who you've admired from afar for a long time and you get the chance to, like, I, I basically, I was with, um, I'll name drop someone else. Um, of course I was working with, I got to work with Joe Strummer from The Clash and I was really into The Clash. And then so he came to our studio and he lived at the studio for six months. So we became really, you know, got to know him quite well and hang out with him. And it was like having a normal mate around the thing. But then you realize it's Joe Strummer. It's like, that was great. (laughs) So I got to work on his album, which was then obviously, I loved that because he was one of my heroes. So yeah, um, yeah, they're the best times when you do that kind of stuff that means something to you. It might not mean anything to anybody else. You know, they don't care, do they? But no, but but yeah, I think it's really interesting to like having the the starstruck thing and then realizing they're actually just normal people, but yeah. then realizing, oh shit, it's actually still this. <laughs> yeah, super, yeah. Super you don't realize that until you go out in public with someone like that, and then you go, oh yeah, they are really famous, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's <laughs> looking at us here. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so how actually do you do you like manage that when you're working? You work with pretty big artists in my name. Uh, uh, in my um, eyes. Like, how do you manage that 
not, not starstruck, but that like you don't get starstruck when you're working with someone because they've come to work with you. So you don't. It's fine. You're on the same level. It's not like you're meeting them out or anything, and you've then built them up into being some big sort of celebrity. They're coming to work with you for your expertise, and you're comfortable in that situation. So yeah, it's very easy for you to work with people that are you know someone it's even funnier actually to work with those people because it's just an insight into them as people and their personalities that's all it's kind of like you're a fly on the wall because they're kind of talking to you but they're not bothered about you you're just the engineer doing the work so you know it's you know they're there for the day and you're doing your thing and it's fun to have a chat with them and get some little tidbits of gossip but um (laughs) you know that's that's cool but you don't yeah you're not starstruck at the time no no no, because you are you are hired to do a piece of work and yeah, you know exactly. exactly how to do that work. Yeah, and you're kind of working with them. So you're trying to guide them and you're trying to tell them what you think would be work for this song. So mm. you really want to just sort of get the best result you can so that they go away happy and had a nice time and so did you. So that's what it's about ultimately. And so, and so they get back again. So yeah, that's, hopefully. Yeah, that's really cool. So do you often like the, the bigger artists or the high profile artists, do they actually come to the studio when you do mastering today as well? Or was that more in the that was, in the past? Yeah, more in the past. I I don't have, I don't hardly do any attended sessions now, which I don't mind these days because I like just to crack on and get it done and just do my own thing in my own little world. Um, mm. But I, uh, it's definitely something when you're a younger engineer and you haven't got as many clients, it's really important you do as many attended sessions as possible because you need to build relationships and you need, otherwise you're not going to get to know anybody. Um, and I was fortunate enough when I was starting out for the first 10, 15 years that everything was attended. So mm, yeah. the A&R men would come down, you'd get to know them. And so then you get more work out of them. And then artists you get to meet uh, which is the whole point of why you want to do it you want to meet artists you want to work with those high people you don't you know that's that for me was all I wanted to get in the music industry for was to meet those kind of people and work on stuff that was going to be in the charts when when anyone cared about the charts (laughs) and and so that I could work on something that I heard on the radio so that when I was driving around, it was like, oh, yeah, I did. I worked on that. So that's why I started in it. I didn't start in it to sit in a room on my own um, no. twiddling knobs. That was That's really boring. You know, I wanted to work with people and be – so, yeah, it's great when people do come in, but they tend not to these days, to be totally honest, because it's one track that's an hour. They're not going to they, – they've got too many other things to do, haven't they, these days? It's just easier, yeah. And also, they, they're in their own studio. It's got their own speakers. They want to hear what it sounds like in there. So they'd rather mm. you send it over and then they'll have a listen and then feedback and tell you what tweaks they want. They When they come to the studio, it's always going to sound good in, in the studio, isn't it? So it doesn't matter what yeah. I do. And no. so be quiet. <laughs> Yeah, so so with all these big uh, high-profile artists, I could imagine there's a lot of different people who has a say towards the end product. Like you have labels, you have managers, you have the artists itself. How like do you handle these these situations, or if there ever is situations? I like tend that? To, I tend to these days just think this is the mix. I listen to the mix that's there. They've all liked this mix. So they all like this. The engineer liked it. The producer liked it. The artist liked this. The A&R man liked it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have sent it to me because I'm the last person. So yeah. don't don't mess it up. You know, they're they're happy with it. Don't mess it up. Just make it a little bit better if you can. And then um, everyone will be happy. 
if you suddenly start getting over excited and over egging the cake and putting all this stuff on it and all that, which you do when you're just starting out, just to impress mm. them, going back to what I was saying previously, it's you're you know they're going to reject it, and you don't want to be rejected because you want to be doing the next job and the next job and be their go-to. So um, yeah, it's like just chill. It's fine. They like it. Everyone likes it. There's loads of different personalities, but they all came to this to say they liked it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like You're it too. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mess up the mix. Yeah, Don't yeah. Like it too. To Just be be in the gang. Don't be out yeah. the gang. Don't suddenly think, start causing problems. I think that's a great takeaway from, from the podcast. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it. Great. Well, Strigi, time is flying. It's been so great to have you on the podcast. I just have like one single, uh, one final question for you. Okay. And if you had to like recommend one song to the audience of this podcast where the people behind needs more recognition, uh, what song should it be and and who have worked on it? Maybe a song someone you know have worked on, if you have something on the top of your head. I don't know. I really don't. Um ah. What song is a so? What do I would I say is the best sounding song, or what would I say I like yeah, the sound be, of? Yeah, um, that'd be awesome. So there's a song that I always reference. Um, so uh, when we're testing speakers out, because I test loads of speakers because I'm geeky into reviewing stuff, yeah. <laughs> and um, there's a song called um, Veto. Is it Veto, mm-hmm. Matt? Yeah. <laughs> Same song. Son. It's by is it Son by Vito or Vito by Son? Son, yeah. Son Vito by Son. Okay. So uh cool. you'd think I'd know a bit better, wouldn't you, seeing I listen to it <laughs> most days. But that for me, that track sounds amazing on every single speaker that I listen to. So that's always my go-to song. So I would say listen, check that out. His stuff's really good, and I don't think a lot of people uh know it as much as I would have thought they they would. Um, I'm definitely going to check it out. I, I'm I'm unaware of it, so yeah. So you the <laughs> right thing is, it's this. just it just sound it just sounds great. It's a really good sounding album. So um, yeah, have a listen to that, and um, it will say if you can get that sounding good on most systems, then you know you're sound. Yeah, you're good. Your speakers then you're are good. Golden. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is Strigi approved. Yeah, <laughs> great. Well, it's been awesome, Strigi. Thank you so much for doing this. Cool. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's been fun. Thank you for listening. Just one last thing. Are you tired of vague, imprecise and confusing wall of text revision notes from many clients or collaborators at a time and through multiple communication challenges all at once? Me and my co-founder, we made a solution to this. You can try it out for free by going to audome.com. That's A-U-D-O-M-E.com. Link in the description. <laughs>